Take your Bibles once again, if you would, and turn to Psalm 23. I, I hope you're having the privilege of memorizing this psalm as we go through this series. and Or if you've already memorized it, maybe you just are trying to refresh it in your minds. But uh, also maybe reading it every week will help do that as well. So let's uh, give attention to God's Word. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And God's people said, Amen. And you may be seated. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you so much for the, the privilege to be here today, whether in person or, or via the live stream. We especially, Lord, want to pray for those who are not able to be here for whatever reason that your, your grace may abound in their lives. And Lord, that you would watch over and care for them. But Father, now as we are, are able to open your word, we pray that you would speak to us, God. Lord, you know that um, we could hear the, the best of sermons or, or the worst of sermons, and it, it really doesn't uh, matter. What matters is, God, that uh, you speak to us. Because when you speak, God, we hear. And so we pray for the work of your Holy Spirit in our hearts, Lord, to not only hear, but to receive and to obey and to delight, Lord, in the privilege uh, to follow you. We thank you and we pray this in your name. Amen. As I said a, a couple of weeks ago, the goal of this study is not so much to open our understanding to Psalm 23 as it is uh, to get us to believe it and to live in the joy and the peace that it is designed to give us. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Well, this morning, we're going to look at the last part of that. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And we're going to just sort of follow the outline that is found in the, the text this morning. Uh, as we look at who it is that is leading us, where it is that he is leading us, and why it is that he is leading us. Who, where, and why. Who is leading us, where is he leading us, and why is he leading us? So let's just jump in to the text this morning. And some of this you may go, well, yeah, Pastor Rick, of course. And the first is this, who is leading us? Who is responsible for leading and guiding believers? And it is the Lord. It is the one who is unchangeable, the one who is unchanging, the one who is self-sufficient, the one who is the Lord, who is my shepherd. Now, the responsibility of leading the flock um, lies with the Lord and not with us. And we would say, yeah, I know that. But is that how we live? Is that how we see our lives sort of playing themselves out? He leads 
and we follow. It is His responsible to lead us. It is our responsibility simply to follow wherever He leads. Now, without a shepherd, sheep are sort of clueless. In fact, sheep are probably the most stupid animals on the face of the earth. And kids, I know what you're thinking right now. Pastor Rick, my parents said, don't say stupid, right? And, and I understand that, but I sort of use that word in one sense intentionally because they are sort of stupid animals. I, I've had actually neighbors and good friends who had sheep. And I would go over to their house quite often. And uh, the, the sheep would be, well, I'll just give you a, an example. It was not uncommon for the sheep to turn their head and stick it in the fence because they saw grass on the other side that they wanted to eat. So they turned their head, they stuck their head in, turned their head down and ate the grass. And once the grass was all gone, they were stuck. They couldn't get back out. They didn't know enough to turn their heads. Well, my friends would see that because the sheep would be sitting there jerking on the fence and the fence is just shaking. And, and sometimes actually the sheep, if they weren't careful, could hurt themselves because of the situation that, that they were in and they were just thrashing. So, so my friends would go over and grab the sheep's head and try to turn their head sideways so they could pull it out. Unfortunately, what did the sheep do? What do you think? They were like fighting the, the owner the, and, and trying to get away from him. Even though he was trying to help them, you know, he, he, they were fighting. But eventually he would get their head turned and then they could pull their head out and then they would be fine. And they would, they would go on their merry way. But, but sometimes that's how sheep act. So in one sense, it, it does sort of seem sort of in, in a stupid way. But one aspect of their stupidity is seen in the fact that sheep easily wander away. A shepherd can take a sheep to pastures that are green, a place where there are waters that are flowing, still waters where they can drink, where they could be renewed and, and refreshed. And yet those same sheep would still wander away into other pastures or other fields that were barren and the water wasn't drinkable. <clears throat> They're also creatures of habit and, and they could be brought to those same pastures to eat and they would graze upon that grass until they had eaten every blade of grass and even the roots of that grass and would actually kill that field and therefore uh, they would impoverish themselves. I even read this week about how sheep would go down the same path and they would literally go down the same path to the point where they would create sort of this gully or this rut that they would walk into that would cause them to stumble and to fall. And so, you know, just oftentimes when you look at sheep, there's probably no other class of livestock that requires more careful handling than sheep. And of course, you know, so we look at that as Christians and we think, well, that's how the Lord is describing us. And, and we, of course, we don't want to think of ourselves like sheep. We're sort of proud of the fact that we take initiative in our lives, but we want, don't want to think that in that, that we somehow wander away from the Lord. Uh, we want to think that the decisions that we make are, are, uh, for our lives are, are good and they are right. And we don't want to think of them as, as strained by sinning against the Good Shepherd. We don't want to think of ourselves as, as stupid as sheep, but unfortunately, uh, sometimes we can be. We can be very much like those sheep where we turn our head and we get stuck and then we fight the shepherd when he tries to help us to get out. You see, by nature, our inclination, brothers and sisters, is to go astray. 
it is to wander. I mean, that's how the Bible describes us in Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We have no native sense because of the fallenness in Adam and because of the twistedness of our natures. We have no inherent sense of right and wrong. And so we need a shepherd to lead us, do we not? And the Lord has taken it upon himself, the responsibility to lead his sheep, his people, and to do so safely and with a purpose. And that's where the Christian's confidence regarding guidance ultimately lies. Not that we can somehow discern God's will, but that God promises to lead his people as their shepherd. I think sometimes we view life uh, in, the, in the sense that we make daily decisions for our lives, and sometimes for that of our families as well. But from time to time... Uh, we encounter things that we, we really don't know how to make a decision about. And, and it requires us to know more and to discern more. And so we turn to the Lord for guidance. And we pray, Lord, show me what your will is. Now that sounds very commendable, does it not? To seek to know what God's will is. Um, but that's not the way that God works. Um, that's not the way that life looks from God's perspective. God is not passive until we come to him and, and, and ask him for guidance. Jesus leads us continually. Even when we think that we're pretty good and we don't really need much from God and we're just sort of going through life and we're not really seeking God's uh, discernment about certain things in our lives, you know, we feel pretty confident in our abilities. Even in those times, God is leading us. Now, uh, let me just make a clarification. That's not to say that we can live our lives in any way we desire in sin, and God will continue to lead us in His good and pleasant ways. Uh, God will lead us if we are living selfishly and we are very self-willed and we want to do what we want to do, but He will lead us in His ways of discipline and, and judgment because He loves us and He wants to see us repent of our sins and, and turn to Him. But what comforts David um, is that in the midst of the circumstances of life, whether they be sunny days, whether they be trials, whether they be in the uncertainties of life, that Jesus guides his people. One of the marks of Reformed believers is the belief in the sovereignty of God. But I wonder if too often God's sovereignty becomes nothing more than a theological truth for Christians to articulate and to talk about. We like to, to have conversations about it and and uh, expound upon it and stuff. But in the scriptures, the sovereignty of God is a pastoral comfort for right-thinking believers to embrace and to rest their weary, tired souls upon. Because if the Lord is sovereign, you know what that means? I can rest. I can rest. I don't have to take all the responsibility. I don't have to try to make things happen. I can rest in His sovereign hand of providence. He leads me. The responsibility is not with the sheep trying to discern God's will, but with the shepherd. Now, kids, you've not been along that life here upon this earth, maybe five years, maybe 10 years, maybe 12 years. I don't know how old you are. But if you ask your parents who have been walking with the Lord a lot longer, and I'm not going to guess how many years they've been on this earth, okay, they'll probably tell you 
of instances in their lives where God has changed the direction of their life using one seemingly normal circumstance. That God has led them, that God has guided them, maybe even radically changed the direction of their life with one simple action or conversation. I know I can relate to that. I've actually had that happen a number of times in my life where the Lord has radically changed the path that I was going with some simple circumstance. And one that I remember in particular, uh, when I was younger, I was uh, sort of Presbyterian, sort of charismatic, sort of a, he called me a mutt, I don't know. I just had sort of a lot of different thoughts and beliefs. And uh, I was older, but I decided I wanted to go to college. And so I decided that I was going to go to a charismatic college, and I had already looked into colleges and sort of picked the one that I wanted to go to, and uh, at that time I was attending the Presbyterian Church, and my parents were attending a charismatic church, and I was actually talking to the charismatic pastor after church on one Sunday night, and uh, he said, and I was telling him what I was going to do and everything, I thought he'd be all excited, and he said, but Rick, he goes, aren't you Presbyterian? Shouldn't you look for a Presbyterian school? And the Lord used that conversation to get me to be thinking, and I thought, maybe I should. And so I looked for a Presbyterian college that I thought would accept my charismatic beliefs, and I found one, and I went there, and the Lord radically changed my life in so many different ways. One of the things he did was he challenged my views on charismatic gifts and all that kind of stuff. But uh, the other thing that he did is that's where I came into the PCA. I was introduced to the Presbyterian Church in America and was now part of this denomination. That's also where I met my wife, which I praise God for greatly. But through that one conversation, he was leading me uh, in the path that he wanted me to go. Brothers and sisters, you know, we need to resist the idea that we are the captains of our own destiny. We need to to discipline our souls and rebuke uh, our unbelief and resist the temptation to be anxious and doubtful or unsettled about the future. I mean, that's why Paul says, right, in Philippians 4, verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Do not be anxious about anything, he says, right? Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd. He is the one who reigns sovereignly. And he leads us and he directs us. We can come to him in prayer and lay our burdens upon him. He leads us. The responsibilities is his. Now, brothers and sisters, I wonder how different our lives might be if rather than praying to God to show us his will in our current circumstances, so that we might know what to do if instead we pray, please God, lead me in my current circumstances. Now, there's a little hair's nuance in that. With the first, there's a sense of coming to the Lord and saying, God, I'd lack something. I just need you to tell me what your will is. Once I know what that piece is, then I'll know what to do. And the focus is always around me. And, and me discerning and directing my life and leading my life. I just sometimes need the Lord's help. But what the text is saying here is, is in, in the Lord leading us, the, the difference is there's more of a humble submission to just following Him 
and, and obeying Him and doing the things that He wants us to do. It's not like, Lord, just show me one piece. It's really more of a spirit of humility and of, Lord, I will lead you or I will follow you wherever you lead. And so He is the one that leads us. But where is He leading us? Well, we see in the text that He leads me in paths of righteousness. You see, the Lord always leads His people in the right way, never in the wrong way. He always leads us in that which is good and not bad. And, and we would expect that of a good shepherd because we as sheep need that. A good shepherd never exposes his sheep to unnecessary danger. He will at times, though, lead them through dangerous places, as we're going to see next week as we come to verse 4. But the good shepherd never takes us there unless it is necessary. You see, God will never lead his people in disobedience. And so kids, young people, adults, all of us need to hear that the Lord will never lead you to bow down before other gods. The Lord will never lead you to worship idols. The Lord will never lead you to take his name in vain. The Lord will never lead you to dishonor the Sabbath day and to not keep it holy. The Lord will never uh, lead you to dishonor your father and mother. And I'm not just speaking to kids. Even us as adults need to be reminded of that and to be, and be respectful of our parents. The Lord will never lead us to commit murder, whether it be in your hearts or with your hands. He will never lead you to commit adultery, whether that be with your body or in your mind. He will never lead you to steal what is not yours. Kids, do you ever play with your brothers and sisters and, or cousins or something, and they have something you want? And so what do you do sometimes? You take it from them forcefully. Do you know that's stealing? The Lord will never lead you to do that. The Lord will never lead you to lie. The Lord will never lead you to want or to desire that which is not yours. The Bible calls that coveting. See, we can be sure of this because God tells us that in His Word, that He will only lead us in paths of righteousness. The Lord will never lead us into ways that are contrary to His revealed will. So that means that He will never lead us to... For a believer to marry an unbeliever. Never. You can justify that. You can say, well, if I date this person, if I take him to church, maybe they'll become a Christian and then I can marry him. You can, we do all kinds of gymnastics to try to make, you know, uh, what we want sound like it's what God wants. Uh, God will never lead you to put consequences before truth. He will never lead you to act arrogantly or selfishly. If we do any of these things, brothers and sisters, let's be honest. Let's own it. It's of us. It is not of the Lord. He always leads his sheep in the paths of righteousness. Now, righteousness really has two aspects to it, and, and I want to talk about those just briefly. First of all, it means uh, walking in the right way, okay, in, in the way of the Lord. And there are wrong ways to live life. I mean, the book of Proverbs talks about this in Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. But, but Jesus even more specifically talks about this in the New Testament as he talks about the broad way and the narrow way. And he said there's this broad way that a lot of people are walking on, but the way leads to destruction. But then there's this narrow path, which just a few walk on, that are much more difficult and challenging, but it leads to life in Matthew 7, 13. And so... We greatly need to know the right way. And of course, 
What is the right way? The answer is Jesus Christ. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Because Jesus is the way that provides a way back to God. He's the only one that has paid the penalty for our sins so that we might be made right with God. But Jesus doesn't simply uh, save us in the sense of taking away our sins. He is the one who leads us safely through this life to eternal glory with God. There is no other way because no other one has provided, has paid the way uh, to God. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. So there's that sense in which he, 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 he takes us the right way. He is the way. Jesus is the way. He is that righteous path. But there's also a sense in which righteousness refers to us being made in the likeness of God. That part of the shepherd's purpose for his sheep is to lead them in such particular ways that they will become more like God himself. We know that God's purpose for his people is to conform them to the likeness of Jesus. That's what Paul says in Romans 8.29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image, or that word can also be likeness, of his Son, in order that they might be the firstborn among many brothers. Do you know, if you're a Christian here today, that is God's will for your life? that you be made in the image of Jesus. And this is the reality that you should be pursuing in your life and that you should be anticipating. You should be looking to see the ways that God is, is taking you through life so that he might make you like Jesus Christ. And the paths of righteousness are the paths that he will use to most conform us to the likeness of Jesus Christ. And, and there are times when these paths, as we'll see next week, will be very dark paths. Because sometimes the, the heavenly shepherd needs to take us through the difficult times in order to deal with the remnant of corruption that's still in us and, and conform us to the likeness of him who went through those same deep waters himself so that he might fulfill his calling as our redeemer. So what does this look like in our everyday lives. Well, in a general sense, it means that God will lead us in paths of His revealed will as He's laid out in the Scriptures of the Bible. What does Psalm 119.105 say? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word guides us. It is that path of righteousness. Uh, Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be what? Complete, equipped for every good work. You see, God marks out the way we are to live, and He tells us to walk in it. I mean, you think about Israel. Uh, God sent His prophets to His people, Moses, to, to lead His people out. And he directed them all the way from Egypt to the promised land. There were times when they were stubborn about it. There were times when they complained and they didn't like what God wanted them to do. There were times when they just outright rebelled against him. And yet he continued to lead his people. We see the same thing in the New Testament with the apostles and, and, and the church. And so what shapes and governs us is God's inerrant and infallible word. 
You know, it sort of reminds me of, of Jesus' words in the New Testament where he says, my sheep hear my voice and they know it. Um, I remember when I was in seminary, uh, my professor of missiology, uh, what Dr. Long told this story when he was in the Middle East. He said one evening he couldn't sleep, so he actually went out in the desert and just looked at the desert. He said, it's beautiful at night. And he said, as I was looking out over the desert, he goes, I saw a shepherd coming from this direction and behind him were his sheep. Now see, in the Middle East, they lead their sheep. In America, we drive our sheep. We get behind them and we're like trying to move them, herd them in a direction. But in the Middle East, they, they lead their sheep. And so here comes one shepherd and he's walking and here comes another shepherd and he's walking across the desert. But eventually the two shepherds uh, meet and they start talking to each other. I think one asked the other for a cigarette and they start smoking or whatever. But that's not good. But they were talking. And uh, Dr. Long says, I was watching because he says, as they were talking, all the sheep began to mix together. And he said, I thought, oh, this is going to be interesting. How are they going to get all these sheep separated and know whose sheep is what? Well, after a period of time, those shepherds stopped talking and they said goodbye to each other. And they both just kept on walking. And as they walked away, each shepherd, he said, I heard them begin to sing their own song. They each had a song, and they just began to sing. And as they sang, the sheep recognized their shepherd's voice. And the sheep just divided themselves, and they followed their shepherd. You know, that's, that's why in the Reformation, the Reformers talked about sola scriptura. That is the voice that we as God's people hear. As we hear God's voice in His Word. Um, I appreciate uh, Ian Hamilton and his comments. He said, tragically though, he says, we live in an age when the Christian church is more concerned about sola cultura, in other words, culture alone, rather than sola scriptura, scripture alone. He says, the church is more concerned about being shaped by the culture um, or not offending the culture or having an ear to the culture than being led in the paths of righteousness as laid out in God's Word. And, and part of that might be that we're, we're way too comfortable, I think, as we think of the Scriptures, to think in terms of our opinion about God's Word. I mean, I, 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 I hear this come out of my own mouth, and it just breaks my heart when I say it. But I'll say, well, this is what I believe about God's Word. And, and so often we think about God's Word in those terms, about what we believe about it, rather than what it says, rather than seeking to understand what God is saying, what He is commanding, what He is promising in His Word. Uh, that, that first way of approaching God's Word, of thinking it in terms of, of my beliefs, uh, allows us to, to sort of stand in judgment of God's Word and, and take and leave what we want to obey. Now, let me just clarify. I do recognize that there are things that God has revealed to us in His Word that are hard, and there are things that are difficult, and there are things that for centuries the church has wrestled with, and we need to be, we need to be patient with one another. But, you know, sometimes to just say, well, that's my opinion about what God's Word says, it allows us to be lazy in the study of God's Word. But, but as we look at God's Word as, this is the Word of the Lord, and I desire to know what this says, then there is a sense of, of submitting our lives 
to God's word. Not standing over it saying, this is my opinion about it, but saying, what has God wanted to communicate? He gave us this with a reason and a purpose, and there's something he's wanting to say to us. Do I know what that is? Uh, there's also a sense of wanting to know the mind of Christ and understanding that that's been laid out in Scripture. So even if there's a, a difference of, of looking at things differently between believers over what God says, we still as believers, rather than being comfortable to say, well, that's your opinion and this is my opinion, we ought to be working together to seek to understand the mind of Christ as He has laid out in His Word. And, and as we have those two opinions... Rather than being like this with each other, we can actually work together to help one another to understand. Well, I think what happens, and the reason why I bring this up about our opinion about God's Word, is when we, we, we have an opinion about God's Word, rather than seeking to follow God's Word, what happens is, is that there's no clear paths of righteousness, but only paths of our opinions about how we ought to walk and where we ought to go. And yet, our Good Shepherd leads us in those paths of righteousness. And I, and I think that's why Isaiah 8.20 is so important. Isaiah says, uh, to the teaching and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to this word, that is, according to the word of the Lord, it is because they have no dawn. In other words, whatever men are saying in the world or in the church, whatever ideas are surfacing out there, if they do not speak according to his word, then they have not the light of the dawn. And so we need to look to God's word to, to discover the way of God. Here God has inscribed by his spirit through his servants the way that he wants us to live our lives. And so in a general sense, uh, we ought to understand these paths of righteousness as, as being something that comes to us through his revealed will. But I would suggest that even more specifically than that is they come to us through His commandments. God guides us in the paths of righteousness through His commandments. Now, unfortunately, um, when we say the word commandments, a lot of Christians take great offense by that. Or at least they think that you're being legalistic. You know, that how dare you, you know, tell me I have to do this. Um, but unfortunately, that's... That's, that's not the biblical understanding of God's commandments. I, I love what John writes in his first letter, 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. John says, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. Isn't that beautiful? Commandments aren't legalism. That's how we show our love to God. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. I, I heard this week the, uh, Matthew Henry a comment uh, quote that he said. He said, The commandments of God are the wings to help us fly, not the weights to drag us down. But the commandments of God are the wings that help us fly, not the weights to drag us down. What do you think about the commandments of God? God told Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, he said, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but, shall, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Is that what characterizes our lives? Are, are we careful to do all that God has commanded us 
in his word. God goes on uh, in that Joshua 1 8 passage to, to finish that verse off by saying, For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. That's, that is as we follow God's word. But do you think God's commandments are there to, uh, for your good, or do you think that they're there to take away something good from you? Do you think that God's commands are there to sort of squeeze life out of you, that God is some heartless killjoy, or that, that God is only happy when He tells you no, 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 no? Now, some people will look at God's Word and say that. For example, they'll look at the Ten Commandments that I've referenced a couple times this morning, and they'll say, well, God begins each commandment with you shall not, or the old King James, thou shall not, right? And so they look at that and they say, see how negative that is? What kind of God gives such negative commandments? Well, I would suggest to you that it's a loving God. It, it's a God who is merciful. It is a God who is kind. And, and we as parents, we understand this. And even if you're not married or you don't have kids, you know, I'm sure you've been around families and you've seen this, but parents who love their kids will do what? They'll put all kinds of hedges of protections around them. If I walk into the a home of someone who has little, little kids, I can almost assume that there's going to be these little covers in the outlets, right? So they can't stick a fork or a knife or some toy or a pencil or something like that in it and shock themselves. Or if there's a fireplace, you know, maybe the hearth has sharp edges and and they've, I know one house we lived in, they put like little molding around there so that if little kids fell, they wouldn't cut their head open. Oftentimes we put gates up at the bottom of the stairs or the top of the stairs because we don't want kids, little kids to fall down. We tell our kids, don't touch that stove, it's hot. Or don't go play in the street, it's dangerous. Do we do that because we're parents who like to tell our kids no? We do that because we love them. They are precious to us. And God knows the tendency of our hearts and our natural default is to sin. And, and, and like the best of fathers, God puts hedges around us. It's, it's because He knows what is best for His sheep. And so when we read God's commandments in His words, what we ought to, to hear God saying is, I love you. Hear this. I love you. You are my treasured possession. Because I love you so much, do not have any other gods but me. Because I love you so much, don't erect idols in your heart. Because I love you and you are precious, make my name special. Keep my day special. And etc., etc., etc. Because the Lord loves us. God is saying, in my commandments you will find life. And that's what you're made for. Of course, Satan wants to sneak in, like he did in the Garden of Eden with Eve, and, and he wants to tempt us into thinking that whenever God gives us a commandment, God is really trying to withhold something good from us. But that's not true. And in reality, through his commandments, God is saying, I am leading you in paths of righteousness. So, why is he leading us? Um, well, look at the end of verse 23, or verse 3. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, we'll oftentimes read that first part of that verse and we catch that, but have, we, have you ever thought about what he means by the last part, for his name's sake? 
Well, let me ask you this. Why does God lead his people to Jesus Christ? Why does he save us? Well, uh, I like Ian Hamilton's answer to this. He says, well, some people will say that God leads people to Jesus Christ to save them. And, and Ian Hamilton says, well, that's a partial answer. Not the best answer, but it's a partial answer. And uh, he said, you know, others might say, well, it's to, to bring them to heaven so that they could spend eternity with God. And again, Ian Hamilton said, that's a good answer, but not the best answer. Because the real answer is, is that God brings people to himself not for our blessedness, but for God's glory. If you don't believe me, go back and, and read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. And particularly pay attention to verses 12 and verses 14, where you see in this great passage about our salvation and what God is doing, that he does so for his own glory. The reason that God brings people to himself is not our blessedness, but it's for God's glory. Let me just read to you a, a couple of passages from the Old Testament as I was just sort of searching the scriptures this week, these just sort of stood out to me. I never had noticed this. Uh, one is from Isaiah 48, uh, verses 9 and 11. Isaiah 48, verse 9. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I will restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? Profane? My glory I will not give to another. The, the reason that God is not angry with His people or He delivers them is for His glory. It, it's, it's, not, it's for His namesake. Uh, Ezekiel 36, 22. We see the same thing. Ezekiel 36, 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And then, forgive me, but back to Isaiah 43.25. Isaiah 43.25. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions. Now why does God do that? Why does he take away our sins? He says here, for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. That God does this for his own sake. That what God does, he does, he does bless us. We've talked about the blessings that we see in Psalm 23. But that's not the real purpose. That God, why God leads us in those paths of righteousness. He does so for his own glory. I like what William Plummer said in his commentary. He said, that which moves God to save his people is found in him, not in us. And we know that as good reformed Christians. We know that that's true, that, that God has chosen to set his affections upon us. And Dr. Beeky goes on and says, Saving grace flows from the sovereign and good pleasure of his eternal will to exalt his great name. That's what God is doing, is, is exalting his name. And that's why he, he saves us. I don't know if you ever think about this, but, but God has a reputation to uphold. A reputation for integrity, for faithfulness, for honor. Uh, for kindness, for mercy, for justice, for truth. And it goes on and on and on. And all that God does is to uphold the integrity of His name. Now, I don't know if you've thought about the work of the, the Trinity in salvation, but, but the Father has engraved the names of His beloved children on His heart 
with unconditional love. He has chosen and He has predestined us for adoption. He has promised that no one can snatch them out of His hands. His very name, Father, is at stake in the salvation of His people, for He has intertwined their names, our names, and His names. Right? God has said, I will do these things. And so He leads us in those paths of righteousness, and He will lead us all the way to the end. And He does so to show what kind of God He is. Jesus Christ voluntarily took the office of mediator for the elect, suffering for their sins and, and dying for and dying their death to satisfy divine justice on their behalf. His name, Redeemer, stands or falls with the life and well-being of the elect because the Father gave them to Christ and charged Him to lose not one of them. And so if He were to do so, that would be an affront on His name. The Holy Spirit willingly gave himself to dwell in the hearts of the elect amongst God's or Adam's uh, fallen children, becoming within them a fountain that springs unto eternal life. He, he seals them, not just for a time, but all the way to redemption. And for uh, he, he's the down payment of our inheritance. And so for the sake of his name as comforter, the spirit will abide with us as his children forever. Oh, children of God, for His name's sake, that phrase there teaches us that, uh, that His righteousness has been imputed to you in Christ, but also the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and the name of the Spirit offered as a foundation of righteousness to secure and preserve you. So perseverance of the saints is grounded upon the solid rock of His name. When God says that I will finish that which I have begun in you, we can take that to heart because His name is sure. His character is sure. And so what that means is, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can take up God's name in your prayers. Uh, as Psalm 25:11 says, uh, For your namesake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. So we come to the Lord and we ask for His forgiveness, not because we deserve it, but we can appeal to His name, to His character. And we can learn to claim the divine names of our great shepherd as, as our confidence and hope. We can come to the Lord and say, Lord, if your name is Wonderful Counselor, then we can call upon him to work wonders of his power and his grace to mature us. If his name is, is Counselor, then we can pray for him for perfect wisdom to lead us in right paths. If his name is Mighty God, then we can ask Him to give you strength in the midst of your weakness, and so on and so forth. For His name's sake, God will not deliver the soul of His elect to the wicked or forget us. And so, if we think about it, if, we, if, we, if, if God's name did not secure and preserve us, uh, weak and wounded as we oftentimes are, uh, we would not be walking with the Lord because our inner and our outer temptations would have overtaken us. But the Lord leads us for His namesake. And so the Lord does bless us, uh, but the real reason He does so is for His namesake. So when, when our hearts are, are darkened in sin before we come to faith in Christ, and we could even be tempted after we come to faith in Christ, to think this, but before we come to faith in Christ, we think that our sole purpose in life is our comfort and our pleasure. 
But then as we come to the Lord and, and come to realize who He is, then we understand that our chief end, our purpose, is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And uh, you've most likely heard the phrase, when God is most glorified, we are most satisfied. And that's very true. When God is glorified in our lives, when people see God as He is, those are the times when we are the most satisfied. We might be tempted to run after other things to please us, but we will admit it, uh, when you catch us on an honest day, that we are really only most satisfied when we see God glorified. And, and, and what gives us um, that delight? Well, I mean, you think about it, those of you who are married, what gives you the greatest delight in your life? Well, I'm guessing that is when you see someone uh, praise your spouse. If you see, if you're a husband, you see someone gloat on your wife, boy, you just sort of feel proud and you're like, yeah, that's my wife, she's awesome. Or a wife who hears someone say her husband's great, she takes great delight in that. When Christians, it's the same way for us. Uh, we take the greatest delight when we see God or see people recognizing God for who He really is. And brothers and sisters, the world uh, sees who God is as we walk in holiness in the paths of righteousness. And we do so not just so that we can have a better life here on this earth, but for His namesake. And as the world sees in us mercy and, and speech, sees Him with grace, when the world sees people who stand for the truth, but they speak that truth and love, they see the image of God in us. Augustine was once asked, what really brought you to Jesus Christ? And he said, it was the kindness of Bishop Ambrose in Milan. He said, it was his kindness that pierced my heart. Brothers and sisters, how are people to know that God is kind if his people are not kind? How can they know who God is unless they see that in us as, as the Good Shepherd leads us in those paths of righteousness? You see, God does what He does for His namesake. And for the Christian, this is our greatest thing because nothing makes us happier than when people see God for who He truly is. Please bow with me if you would. Lord, we're so thankful that you are our shepherd and that you lead us in paths of righteousness. Lord, there are times when we are our stubborn sheep, but we thank you that you, you never give up. You, you, you never forsake us. You, you never leave. You continue to work in our hearts to, to lead us in the ways of righteousness. Um, and you do so, Lord, for, for your sake and your glory. I pray, Lord, um, that we would grow and come to know you and to understand you, uh, that, Lord, um, that all that we know of you would, would fuel our, our worship and our, our praise of your name. But, Lord, I also pray that it would also fuel our witness of you as well, that you would be glorified, Lord, in, in our lives, whether we be young or old or in between, that, God, that people would see Jesus Christ in our lives and in this church as well. 
And so, Lord, just be with us this week as we uh, go through our week and the things that we do. Um, let us constantly be looking to you uh, for guidance, looking to you, Lord, to direct us in your commands and in your ways to follow you. Uh, Lord, just to trust you daily, to look to your word, to look to your commands, to, to take great delight and joy and just let them be reminders, O oh God, that they are expressions of your love for your people. Um, but Lord, in all of this, it's still about you. And so I pray, Lord, more and more that you would cause us to live our lives for your glory and not for our own pleasure. We thank you, Lord Jesus, and pray these things in your name. Amen.